Hi, welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. We're going to do something we call five by seven. Everyone say five. We are going to have five speakers. I want to actually welcome our speakers, kind of come on up here. And if, yeah, welcome them. And so we call this five by seven because we are going to have five different speakers speak for seven minutes each. They're going to share. And we've been doing a series here called work, work life. And so it's about like my work and my life and how these two things intersect. Who here has ever had a job that they just love and they wake up every morning and they're like, man, I love to go to work. Raise your hand. Who here has ever had a job where it's like Friday cannot come soon enough? Like, oh man, this week needs to be, come on, raise your hand one more time. Raise your hand. Okay. So for both groups of people, we're going to talk about these type of jobs today. We're going to talk about the jobs that we love, the jobs that are really difficult, the bosses that we love and the bosses that like, man. And so uh, we're going to talk about all that this morning and our speakers are going to share stories. And so these are an incredible group of people and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to imagine that it's you up here staring back at this crowd and how would you want this group to respond? And I want you to respond with energy. I want you to respond with life. You can laugh. You can say amen. You can cheer. You can wave your hanky. We are going to have church this morning. Amen? (laughs) Hallelujah. And so uh, it is going to be a great Sunday, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And so would you please welcome our first Five by seven people. Person, come on up here, Angela. Thanks, Rob. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> so my name is Angela Hurdle, wife of Brian, mother of Christian and Connor Hurdle, who are here in this service, and this is my work story. So I have just a few minutes today, seven to be exact, to talk to you about the concept of servant leadership. But before I dive into that, I want to tell you a little bit about my career journey and how that it shaped me to be the leader that I am today. So first I have a confession. I have always been a little bit of a workaholic, and I started working when I was 15 at a submarine shop after school. I mopped floors, washed dishes, made sandwiches, learned how to handle a cash register. It was all a really great introduction to doing every type of hard work imaginable. After high school, I was blessed to land an internship with a bank, and I did that every summer throughout college. But I also worked during the school semester. I worked at Thundercloud Subs. The Gap on the Drag, it's not there anymore, sorry. I gave tours en français as a, as a docent at the French Legation Museum. I sold jewelry at Accessory Lady. Does anybody remember Accessory Lady? Thank you. Okay, yeah. I sold jewelry there as a bank teller, hotel operator, and a tutor. I always had at least one job, often two, and at one point I had three part-time jobs simultaneously while I was attending school. What can I say? I don't like to be bored. So I developed a really strong work ethic, and that has definitely served me well throughout my career. When I graduated, I started a training program at the bank to become a branch manager. The program was nine months long, but after only six months, I was pulled out to work on a special project, so I didn't actually finish the training. And when I finished the project, it was time to take on managing my first branch. 
So at the ripe age of 23 and not having even finished training, I was in charge of this bank branch. It was small, but it was a full service bank. I was supervising people literally twice my age who had been in banking almost as long as I had been alive. I was responsible for hiring and training people, making the schedule, being the escalation point for every unhappy customer. And on top of that, I had to grow the business in the community. I was eager, but I was totally in over my head. Being so junior, I was absolutely terrified to ask for help because I figured people would just know that I wasn't good enough or smart enough to have this job. I'd always been a great individual contributor, but I didn't have the slightest clue on how to lead a team. So in order to keep it all afloat and avoid actually having to lead people, I just picked up the slack for everybody. This one girl would routinely call in sick for her Saturday morning shift. So instead of confronting her about it, I would just go in every Saturday in anticipation of having to cover for her. So that meant I was working six days a week. Another team member, an older woman, did something not illegal, but definitely unethical. And I had been raised to respect my elders, so I was uncomfortable talking to her about it, even though her actions made me question her integrity, and that's not good when you have responsibility for people's money. Bottom line is, I didn't have the experience or the confidence to have the hard conversations with the team. I thought that being a good leader meant making everyone comfortable, or worse yet, doing their job for them. Ultimately, the stress of trying to carry all of this on my shoulders took its toll on my body. One day, I started feeling this kind of burning sensation in my stomach, and it continued to get worse over time to the point where I could barely even sit up most days. I finally went to the doctor, and what do you think they told me I had? An ulcer, yeah. Um, I also developed shingles at one point, my allergies were out of control, and I regularly had neck, shoulder, and back pain, all stress-induced, and I was only 24. Well, thankfully, God healed me of those health issues. I ultimately left the bank, albeit to enter another grueling field, the world of technology consulting. But um, over the next 20 years, through many life experiences and hard lessons that I don't have time to tell here today, I had the opportunity to cultivate a personal leadership style that works well for me. I've always had an innate desire to see other people be successful beyond just my own self but I didn't know how to transition to be the kind of leader who fosters that in a healthy way. And I certainly didn't know that this type of leader actually had a name and that it was rooted in biblical principles. So servant leadership is a leadership philosophy in which the main goal of the leader is to serve. It's biblically based and modeled after Jesus Christ. A servant leader focuses on the growth and well-being of people, and she or he puts the interests of others first and helps people develop so that they can perform at their best and that in turn benefits the organization. Philippians 2.4 says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. And that's so important in a leader that we would not be self-serving and only thinking about what's gonna make us look good, but really that we're seriously and continuously considering the interests of others and of the team. But considering the team's interests doesn't mean being soft on them or not having high expectations for their work. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 14 says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Essentially, the Bible not only gives us permission to, but it actually urges us to give constructive feedback to our team members, to expect them to pull their weight, to encourage them, to give them tools and resources to develop in areas where they're weak. And through all of this, we are expected to have patience with them. 
To further elaborate on the role of the servant leader, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 3, we're not to domineer over those in our charge, but we are to be examples to the flock. This is a clear calling that we are supposed to serve as role models, setting the examples for our teams to follow. So in closing, I have a few pieces of personal advice for you that I've learned in my pursuit of being a servant leader. It's a pursuit. Number one is to cast vision for the team so that they understand their mission and their purpose for the work that they do. They're not just a cog in a wheel. There's a higher purpose. And Proverbs 29.18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. The Message Bible says they stumble all over themselves, and nobody wants that at work. Remember the motto, clear is kind. Provide clear, unambiguous feedback to people. Doesn't our Heavenly Father give us direction in the form of his word and the Holy Spirit to guide us, and yet he gives us grace through it all? Clear obstacles so people can do their jobs, but don't do their jobs for them. Hold team members accountable for their actions. We're called to bring a spirit of excellence to everything we do, doing our work as unto the Lord and not as unto man. Foster an environment where it's okay to fail as long as you fail forward and continue to grow and learn from your mistakes. Doesn't God forgive us when we repent and give us the benefit of a clean slate to move forward? Lastly, remember that while the work may be hard or even serious, it is okay to have fun in the place where you spend the majority of your waking hours. Set the example for your team by pursuing excellence, but leave room for laughter. This is my work story. Thank you. Well, hi, everybody. My name is Spiro Stavros, and this is my work story. I'm, I'm actually going to tell you two key stories uh, in my work life and how I've had to continually surrender to God and what that all means and what, what it, difference it makes. So the verse I want to start off with is Proverbs 19.21, and in the New International Version, NIV, it says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. You know, there's similar verses, uh, Proverbs 16.9 in the New Living Translation says we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Now, uh, a quick background so you get a little bit of a picture of me. Uh, I've bounced between the corporate world and uh, my own entrepreneurial ventures pretty much all my life. Uh, if you know anything about disc tests, I'm a high DC with a really strong eye. For you Enneagram people out there, I'm a solid three, and that just means I love to achieve and get things done. Uh, <laughs> checklists and Excel spreadsheets, praise God, they, they slay me in the spirit. I love them. So, <laughs> um, but, you know, I've had really great successes, but I've had some really big failures as well. And I want to say that because for many of years, I thought that I was surrendering my plans and my work life to the Lord, but it, it sounded something like, Lord, I give you this decision. I lay it before you. Your will be done. But just in case you're not sure or you're a little bit busy, I've created three options over here for you. And if you could just help me decide which one, that would be great. Uh, and as you know, that's not really surrendering. I mean, can anybody relate with that? Done that before? Okay. So, okay, my first story. 2009, our family lives in Colorado Springs, and we're really close friends with Pastor Ross and Amy. And they asked us if we wanted to come to Austin and help plant one chapel, a church. And my response was, uh, yeah, let me pray about that. Let me pray about that. 
I, I was in the real estate market as a realtor and I was working in home building and done really well. But how many remember the real estate crash of 2009? Okay, I believe that that happened for me uh, to allow me to say yes in order to come to One Chapel because realistically, if it was going well, I probably wouldn't have come. And so, um, but even in that decision to come and to move to Austin, I mean, to be with Pastor Ross Parsley and become a pastor, um, to be involved in planning a church, there wasn't a guarantee of income. We didn't even know if anybody was going to come to One Chapel. And so I, me, thought I could figure it out uh, and make it work, and I gave uh, God a list of ways that he and I could work it out together, but I'd handle most of it. Um, so here's the short version. We moved to Austin, and I, well, I moved to Austin, with, and I lived with Ross and Amy in Amy's mom's home. I had a room there for about three months while our family was still in Colorado Springs finishing up school. Uh, I found a second full-time job selling insurance, and realistically, I spent more money in that than I ever made. We rented out our, house, our home in Colorado Springs, and the second month, our tenant stopped paying us rent. We were going into debt. We were running out of ideas. We were in a really, really bad financial place. Uh, and I actually got to a point, we got to a point where we had $20 total left in our account. I felt like a failure. I felt powerless. I didn't know what to do. I thought, why, God, you called me to Austin, and how could you have allowed me to get to such a, a low place? And I'll, I'll never forget the moment. I was talking with my wife, Jennifer, on the phone. Um, she was in Colorado Springs, and she was telling me how much money she needed for gas and groceries and the kids' school, and I just didn't have it. So I, in that room, I crawled under a chair, and I cried. And for those of you who know me, I cried a lot. It was kind of ugly crying. Um, and for the first time in my life, God showed me what true surrender was. I thought that I'd done it before, but I really, at that moment, surrendered everything to the Lord because there was no plan B. There was no way that I could make it happen in, in my strength. But an overview of the rest of that amazing story from that exact moment, I mean, literally minutes later, the phone rings, and God provided miracle after miracle after miracle to get our family here to Austin and to get us to help with one chapel. Uh, oh, so second story real quickly. Fast forward four and a half years, life at one chapel working here. It was good. I liked it. Uh, then God began to tell me he was going to change my career again and my path. And <laughs> he told me it was going to be okay. But even after witnessing everything that God had done, I still began to question him. Are you sure? Uh, you called me to be a pastor here, and it's good. I'm enjoying this. I'm, I'm totally confused. What, what are you doing? Why? And over the next couple months, Pastor Ross, whom, by the way, I absolutely love, uh, and I had many long conversations about his plan and how to transition the right way out of leadership here and stay at the church. Uh, I was still confused, though, and uh, I didn't understand it. I didn't know why God wanted me to make a change and what he was doing. Then I had a conversation with Pastor Kim Swafford. And she said, and I want you all to get this because it's important. She said, Sparrow, you're called to be here and serve, but you don't have to have uh, a chair on the staff and you don't have a title to serve here at One Chapel. And, and that was it. That's when it happened. I remember the Lord at that moment, he told me the Lord's purpose prevails. It's not yours 
it, and, and I didn't have to figure it out at that point. I just had to walk through it and, and obey him. So a little more than four years ago, I transitioned into the Austin real estate market. And understand, I loved what I did here at One Chapel, but I'm loving what I get to do now. I, I'm currently working with a, a very high-end custom home builder, and I get to use spreadsheets, so praise Jesus. That's kind of awesome. Uh, but more importantly, I'm a light in the marketplace. Uh, I get to talk to my team and home builders and all the people that I work with and invest in their lives. I get to invest in so many people, but more importantly, I get to show them what a follower of Jesus looks like in the workplace. Um, so let's go back to the verse I started with, Proverbs 19.21. It says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. But here's the best part. We were discussing this verse in our Supper for Six group, and one of the ladies in the group uh, kind of said, you, you need to skip a verse and go down to verse 23. So verse 19:23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content and untouched by trouble. But I love how the Passion Version says it. Verse 23 says, when you live a life of abandoned love, surrendered before the awe of God, here's what you can expect. Abundant life, continual protection, and complete satisfaction. Okay? So if, if anybody can relate to that, uh, any of those stories, if you're down to your last few dollars, if you're confused and you don't know why God is doing what he's doing or what he's even doing, um, I can say have faith. Move to that place of true surrender for his will in your life. And I can tell you right now, uh, it's not easy, and it, sometimes it doesn't really make sense. But if you do have that faith in him and his purpose and a willingness to walk in it, I'm totally confident. I can stand before you and say you'll have abundant life, continual protection, and complete satisfaction. My name is Grania Gilliam. I was born and raised in northwestern England, and I have a really hairy job. I am a hairdresser. Um, and this is my work story. When I was six years old, I wanted to be a hairdresser. I would tell my mother, I want to be a hairdresser. And that doesn't seem strange, but my mother and my sisters all don't wear makeup, could care less about their hair. They wake up, they run out the door. Not me. I would curl my hair up every morning before school. It didn't last five minutes, but I did it anyway. Just like today. Um, I believe that was God's grace for me in my personality that I always wanted to work with hair. That's the first example of how God helped me to go from where I was to where he wanted me to be. I had a very happy childhood. When I was 15, I was walking home from school. I was attacked and beaten by a known rapist. I called out, God help me. When I woke up, I was on my mother's couch. I had not been raped. Praise God. Three months later, my father died. I became a hermit. During the next few years, God got me a great job with a great mentor and great training and a great career path. 
uh, looking back on it, I can see how supernatural and full of grace it all was. Around 20, I met my husband. He was an American. He was very protective of me. Eventually, we moved to America, and his protectiveness unmasked itself as control and abuse. I left him. I was a mess. I did have a great job, so I decided to keep working to save money in order to move back home. Two years passed. I was making plans to return home when I met Miles. My husband now of 30 years, and we're still on our honeymoon. More of God helping me to go from where I was to where he wanted me to be. One of my favorite scriptures is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I often pray this for my children and my family and use it in conversation to remind myself and others of God's perspective. I know God helps me to remember this when I'm listening to clients who come from all walks of life, belief systems, and outlooks. Because my job requires me to touch people, they tend to share deep personal conversation, including the bad stuff. I love to listen and truly desire to help people realize that God wants to help them also. In my training, I was taught not to talk about sex, politics, or religion. These subjects are very commonplace and very sensitive in the times we are living in. Most people think conversations about God only happen in church. Isn't it amazing they happen in salons too? When I enter the salon, I thank God for my job, my workplace, and my clients. Many sit down and look in the mirror and say how old or ugly they look. I often ask them, how would you feel if your children said that about themselves? Of course, none would like it. I tell them that is how God feels when they say that about themselves. You are made in his image. I want to help my clients move from where they are to where God wants them to be. And sometimes they help me in this way too. I love the creativity that my job allows. I want my clients to know that it is more than just a hairdo for me. I care about them. I know each one is as important to God as anyone else on the planet. I am able to share the love of God and how his love for them in a way that is not condemning or judgmental. Most people only know me as happily married to Miles. I'm proud of our three sons, Luke, Isaac, and Giles. <laughs> we are kind of considered like Ward and June Cleaver. For those who remember, leave it to Beaver. Often, when I ask if I can help them with some tough life issue, they say, 
Grania, you would not understand. I say, you just might be surprised. <laughs> I remind them that God is still with us during hardship. He never leaves us or forsakes us. My own testimony and godly experiences over the years allow me to share how the Lord has saved me many times, many ways, and in many places. And leaning on him has brought me all the joy that I have. My last scripture is Genesis 50, 20. You plotted evil against me, but God turned it into good. Thank you. Hello, my name is David Norris, and this is my work story. Y'all are so kind. So it was 1985, and Gail and I, we moved to Austin, Texas. I had just graduated from Georgia Institute of Technology and had a master's degree in electrical engineering. And I had taken a job with Advanced Micro Devices, AMD, and I was going to be a design engineer on a new chip they were working on. And it was completely new to me. And I thought, I'll have a mentor there. They'll help me out. They'll teach me how things are going to go. Well, it turns out I get there. Everybody's brand new to this. Most of them were working on their first chip. Most of them were just either just out of college or just a year or two out of college. Anyway, we, the chip was finished. It went well. We were, our group was assigned to more projects. We took on more things. As a design engineer, I grew and got the confidence of my management. Uh, over time, I became a technical lead for different projects and even took on some manager tasks. Um, and then AMD wanted to make some money, needed some money, and so they spun our group off. And we became like a startup, and we worked for years like that as well, and projects went on. Uh, later, a Canadian company bought us, and we had three design sites. We had a design site in Ottawa, Canada, in uh, Pittsburgh, no, I'm sorry, Pennsylvania, and then also in Austin, Texas, and I got given the opportunity to be a design manager across multiple sites, and that was a lot of fun and a new opportunity. Years passed, different projects, and a California company bought us, and we restructured. We went into new areas, new very interesting projects. Uh, and I became the project lead of a new product line that we were working on. And it was very exciting. There was always some new opportunity that kept me where I was. So 33 years later, and an Arizona company stepped up and said, we think we want to buy you. So they came in. They interviewed us. They had us present our products. And you could just tell that after this whole thing was going to be over with and we were going to be purchased, pe folks at my level and above were not going to be part of the acquisition. Well, so in 2018, I was laid off. And honestly, I felt like it was provision for God because the timing was perfect. Uh, it freed up my schedule. gave me a lot of time to be able to finish one chapel college the last couple of months. That was awesome. Uh, it was perfect. The other thing that was perfect about it is I received a message in LinkedIn that described this crazy, awesome job opportunity. So I returned the message, made some phone calls, and without even trying, suddenly I was hired again at this really cool downtown high-tech company. And they were rated like one of the best employers, one of the best places to work, and it was really cool. So uh, work got off to an odd start. I worked for three weeks. And then I took a two-week vacation. So it was an ideal work-life balance. 
it was a fantastic vacation. They were nice enough to let me take. Uh, but when I came back, I had a really tough meeting with my manager. And I found out that he was very unhappy with how things had gone. Um, and that was very weird because I'd worked 33 years and always been somebody that uh, I got along with my boss and they respected me. So it was a very strange territory that didn't understand what was going on. Also, the manager I was working with as well, he was unhappy. So I worked for the next week to try to make things right, to try to understand their point of view and try to understand how these things had come about. But in the end, you had to understand, I didn't have a chance to make, well, I lost my chance to make a good first impression. That was gone. So I did the best that I could to try to make things better, but my boss and that manager continued to be critical, and it built up in me a lot of anxiety. And I began to worry about the things that had happened the day before or just before instead of what was going on right at the current moment. I lost the presence of mind to deal with what was going on. I lost sleep, and all of these voices in my head kind of built up telling me all sorts of things. Well, thank goodness that during that same point in time, Gail and I were doing Catalyst One. And the saving thing of that was we were memorizing Scripture. And the scripture that was so key to me at that point in time was Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, bring your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And that was huge to me. I hung on all those words. I would say that as I walked the hallways. I would say that when I was awake at night worrying about whatever. Um, and that was just a key scripture to me, along with the other ones as well. Um, and then Bruce Carnes, I was telling him this story, but Bruce Carnes said, you know, the mistake we make as Christians is that we don't ask for specific things. And so I said, well, I, I'm going to change that. I'm going to do that differently. And so every day when I would get out of my truck in the parking garage and I would head into my office... I would say, I need help with this. I need help with this spreadsheet with this crazy bar graph that my boss wants. I want this activity to get movement forward. I need this. I need that. And, and as you might imagine, God would answer those prayers. He was with me even when I was going through this really hard time. Um, the other thing that happened at the same point in time was, I'm off in Catalyst One encouraging people to share and to be transparent and to be honest and open with each other. And people would ask me, hey, how's that new job going? I would go, it's okay. It's all right. You know, but it was kind of code, and people knew it too. People knew it, and some people would press in. So over time, uh, I, I got used to, you know, sharing with my wife about how things were going. And that also led to sharing with others about how things were going. And turns out they cared, right? I would get, they would pray for me. They would talk to me about their life situations, and that would ease the load for me and raise, it would ease the anxiety as well. And what would happen over time was they would text me, and they would send me email, and they would call me at night and tell me how much they loved me and how much God loved me as well. And that lifted my spirits also. So thank you very much as a congregation. Well, it did get better, but it didn't get it, it didn't get any, it didn't get good enough. And so on August first, I was le left go, let go. And uh, so I'm in transition. Which what that means is code for I'm unemployed. <laughs> 
There are some good things about being unemployed. Of course, there's obviously not some good things about being unemployed. But in this time of being unemployed, I've kind of uh, tried to process what in the world was going on. And during the Seek First prayer time, it rolled over me that all those voices that were going on in my head and all that anxiety, it was an attempt by the enemy to rewrite history and to rewrite who my identity was. You know? Things that were good were being replaced by things that were not good and were not true as well. And uh, so that's, that's something that's come to me. And, uh, and, and for all of you, our, our identities are sealed in Christ. Our identity comes from God, and that's what we have to press in on and believe in. Thank you. What's up, everybody? I absolutely hate going last, so but you know the first will be last, and the last will be first, right? Um, so all that uh, that don't know me, my name's Clayton Peachy. Um, yeah, everyone calls me Peachy. So if you've heard my name, it, it is my real name. Um, I'm from I'm a little country PA boy from uh, just the middle of Pennsylvania, close to Penn State. Um, and I'm absolutely terrified to be up here because this is my first time talking to a church. So um, that's, that's actually technically last service was my first time. So this is my first day talking to you guys. Um, but yeah, I, 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 wanted to, I wanted to start with saying that I, I moved here in March um, with, through my job. And, and I spent two months of my time here in Austin kind of in a dark place because I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I didn't know where to go. I was looking through churches. And then in May, God led me to one chapel. Um, and the reason I threw that out there is that if you see a stranger uh, and, and you get the feeling that you need to invite them to the church, do it, please. Um, I'm going to call out Jeff. So he's here in the service, to this uh, on this service. Jeff, was in a Barnes and Noble, and I had just gotten out of another church service, and I was at a Barnes and Noble looking at Bibles, and Jeff was there in the same Bible aisle as me, and he comes over and he's like, "Nice tattoos, bro." <laughs> and literally from there, we start kicking it off, and he invites me to one chapel because I, I mentioned that I was still looking for a church, and I am just after I left Barnes and Noble, I literally went here and found myself at the five-minute party. And within an hour, I was immersed into small groups, into young adults. Jansen got me into tag as a leader for all the tag people. And my whole schedule is like blocked out with one chapel stuff now. So I have no time for anything else. So I say all that because, I mean, it's just so important. So if you see a stranger, invite him to church. Thank you, Jeff. Um, so I'm, I'm an HR leader from GE Aviation. Uh, GE's like, like the fridges and the light bulbs and that sort of thing. Um, if you didn't know, they make jet engines. So if you've flown, you've probably flown on one of our engines. Um, and obviously, the one thing is, is I'm, I'm obviously a young HR leader. Um, no offense to you guys, but I'm the millennial in the room, right? Um, and I, I, bring that up for, I bring that up for a specific reason, because being young and being appointed into leadership roles is absolutely horrifying. It's terrifying. Um, it's, it's a fun opportunity, but it's also terrifying. And uh, 
I found myself early on realizing this, this thing that we call imposter syndrome. Does anyone, has everyone heard of the imposter syndrome? For all those that don't know what imposter syndrome is, I, I have it defined here. Uh, Oxford defines it as the persistent inability to believe that one's success is deserved or has been legitimately achieved as a result of one's own efforts and skills. So essentially what that means is you go around being absolutely terrified and, and in fear that you're going to be exposed as a fraud in whatever, whether it's work, whether it's a position, whether it's you as a parent, whether it's you, whatever you're at. Um, and this like plagued my life. Um, it's, it, I started to really notice it. I mean, I experienced it in school, but then I really started to experience it when I got into grad school for HR. Um, I was surrounded by extremely intelligent people, and I'm not an academic by any means, and they were very smart people. And I, I'm telling you, I, I, it crippled me. It, it absolutely crippled me. I didn't, I didn't want to answer questions. I was afraid to, like, participate. Um, and then that followed me. Uh, I, I worked in, into my master's degree. I actually worked for NASA for two and a half years during school. Um, and if it, wasn't, if it was bad in grad school, it was even worse when I was working with people that trained astronauts. Um, <laughs> No joke, it was, it was very terrifying. Um, and so it just kept, kept growing, it kept growing, and I didn't say anything about it, I never wanted to admit it, and I never wanted to be exposed as like the fraud, right? Um, and then it followed me into this job uh, at GE, right? My, so this job's a rotational, so every eight months I rotate. So I actually just moved here from Cincinnati. Um, I will be leaving in November. Um, that being said, I want to stay, so pray it into existence. Jesus is good. But anyway, so I rotate every eight months. And so I rotated from Cincinnati. I'm here uh, in Cincinnati. My, my role, my first role out of straight out of college, I, they put me as the organization and talent, de uh, talent development leader of all of supply chain in aviation. Um, I was filling in for a maternity leave person that had like 15 years of experience. So for six months, I was the ONTD leader. Um, absolutely horrified. And then it got even worse because I moved here. And I became the, I was supposed to be just an HR guy for some salary folks. And essentially, I was, I was supposed to be Toby from the office. Like, that's, that was my job. I was like, oh, this will be nice. It'll be a nice, like, relaxing. It's Austin. It's cool. Um, yeah, two months into my role, the, the, my boss actually got promoted into another job. And I became the HR leader of the entire site. Um, and so I've been doing that, and we haven't backfilled him yet. Um, so what I'm getting at with all of these is it's increased, and it's increased. And, and I'm grateful that God's given me opportunity. But honestly, like, can I be real and vulnerable? Like, I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> at all. Um, don't tell them that. <laughs> They'll probably see this. Um, but, but I say all that because we go through our lives and we feel like frauds all the time. And if you, if you haven't felt that way, you're either super confident, you're either lying to yourself, or you're just not self-aware. And I please begin, just start to look, just look at yourself. Um, right now on the stage, I am, I am feeling like an imposter, um, but I'm here, right? And, and so that's what I wanted to get at is I had an aha moment. My aha moment where I realized this was actually in my mid-year review with my boss. I, was, I, just, I decided to become vulnerable because it was like I just couldn't take it. And I, and I told her what I was feeling and, and that I wasn't feeling capable, and she literally was like, yeah, that's imposter syndrome. I was like, huh? <laughs> like, what is that? So, so I had to look it up, too, so for those that didn't know it. Um, but what I want to get at is, oh, gosh, I am way out of time. Um, I'm going to mention this really quick. Put your seatbelt on. We're going to go quick. Um, the story of Samson 
right? Samson was appointed by God. For those that don't know Samson, Samson was appointed by God, strong build guy, I mean, super strong, fought the Philistines, was God's purpose, but he lost his hair. Um, this takes, I take this personally. Um, as, a, as a victim of hair loss. Um, <laughs> he lost his hair and he lost his power and, he, and I guarantee you in that moment he felt that he lost his identity, his qualifications, everything that God's purpose was for him. But you know what happens at the end of that story? The end of that story, he goes to God for his qualifications, for his identity, right? And he accomplishes and he destroys more Philistines than he did in his entire life before that. And it was this aha moment for him, right? Same thing with us, right? And so my question to you is, are you qualified for the position that God's put you in? Are you qualified? Because he's placed each of us in some sort of, of spot situation whether it's your job, whether it's your, as a parent, whether it's a, you're a kid at school, like you have been placed in a specific spot for a specific reason and you got to ask yourself, are you qualified? And can I answer for you? Like, you're not actually qualified. You're not qualified, but you are qualified through Christ. And so uh, I'm going to get to the word really quickly. I'm running over, but this is the last one, so I got you anyways. Um, <laughs> 2 Corinthians 3, 4 to 5, it says, Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves, but our, but our comp- competence comes from God. Yeah. And it's, it's so powerful. Um, so I have two final thoughts, and I'll run out of here. Um, one, so I did some research. On, I looked at six different articles, and I was like, this is the solution. This is the 10-step program of how you defeat imposter syndrome. And this is the five-step program. And all these different ones had these, like, one to two, one to 20 steps of how to, like, like take care of this. The two, there was two main themes through all of those that I found that I had been doing and God had, like, kind of showed me through other people. One is look at your accomplishments. Look at what God delivered you from. Look in your past and see what he's already accomplished for you and what capabilities, what talents he's already given you. Look in the past. And Billy, Billy, <laughs> Billy gave me this in, uh, from the last sermon, and I'm going to say it. Um, Philippians 4, 8 to 9. It just kind of backs this up. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So I just encourage you, look at your past and look what he's already done for you. The second point is break the silence. It didn't happen for me. I didn't have my aha moment until I literally said it to someone. I said it to my boss in my mid review, and God revealed that, right? Break the silence and tell someone about it. Expose it. I'm telling you. And, the, and what I would uh, give you with that as a scripture is James 5, uh, verse 16. So James 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Expose it for what it is. Expose it for the lie that it is. Because you are qualified. So I'll ask you one more time as an HR leader, are you qualified for the position that God's placed you in? And the answer is yes, you're qualified through Christ. So thank you guys. Good job, Peachy. That's good. (laughs) Hey, can we give all of our speakers a big hand for doing such a great job? Amazing, amazing. <laughs>
Oh man, that was almost a standing ovation. That was a really, really, really good. Uh, I hope you heard it this morning. I think I love what Grania said of like um, she talked about kind of being there in the salon and uh, working with people, and they said you don't understand. Your life is perfect. You don't really know what's going on with my story. And I think that's sometimes what happens to us. The lie that happens to us walking into church is we walk in and we think, oh, I'm the broken one. I'm the one with the mess. I'm the one with the dark story. Everyone else in this room has it all together, but I'm the one really going through difficulty. And I hope what you heard out of each one of these stories is there's difficulty in each one of our lives. Scripture is full of stories of difficulties, of hardships, of loss. But what's so beautiful about it is God is in the midst of our story. And even in difficult times and difficult situations, God is there to make beauty from ashes. God is there to redeem things. God is there to make things new. And you kind of heard that theme through each one of the stories. And so I pray, you know, it's Labor Day weekend. It's a weekend where we kind of actually reflect on our work. I don't know what's going on in your work life and your work situation, but I pray whatever it is, whether you're a student, a stay-at-home parent, whether you have a nine-to-five, whether you're an entrepreneur or dreamer, all those things, all that stress and weight that can come on to us with our jobs, with our work, I pray this morning that you're able to give it up to God, that you're able to say, God, I don't want to hold it on to you like Spiro said. I don't want to hold it and kind of say, hey, this is the plan of what we're doing. I want to say, God, no, I'm letting this go, and I'm having you speak into this. So we're going to take communion right now. We practice open communion at one chapel, which means everyone's invited to kind of stand up and go through the line. We'll dismiss you row by row. And as you do that, as you take communion, I invite you to really take this moment to turn back to God and to make him the center of your work life. So I'll pray for you, and then we'll take communion together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for each and every soul in this room, Lord. I thank you for what you are doing with our lives, Lord. I thank you that you have called us. You have said we are qualified. You have given us the tools. You have given us everything, Lord, so that we can walk in you, so that we can be lights in the world. We turn to you. We praise you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30 a.m. See you next time.